Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for today's Appraisal Buzzcast. Let me bring in our host, Hal Humphreys. Hal, thanks for joining us. Hi, Jim. How are you this week? I'm doing great. We've been getting a lot of views on our breaking reports on the Rapitoni outage. And I want to thank you for putting those together. If any of our listeners don't know what we're talking about, make sure that you subscribe to the Buzzcast so you'll get notified when we have these breaking issues. And, you know, the interesting thing about that Rapitoni hack, um, it is an MLS outage. It's affecting uh, 12 states, 34 MLSs, discrete MLSs across the country. Uh, it is a big deal for some appraisers. It's a really big deal for some appraisers. Um, we expect uh, some of the GSEs to have a little bit of guidance and suggest some suggestions for appraisers uh, here in the next little bit. Uh, I know Brian Reynolds over at Appraisory Learning spoke with Scott Reuter from Freddie Mac last night or earlier last week, and um, he will will post that information as soon as we can. Um, but yeah, the, the ability to push these things out quickly and get information to appraisers who need it is uh, is pretty fun. And Jim, thank you for your part in making those get out the door. Well, we definitely, it's important to get this information to our subscribers and listeners. We have an exciting guest today. We have Brianne Ledbetter, who we met at Valuation Expo last week. Hey, Brianne, I'm going to bring you in. How are you? Good. How are you this morning? Brianne, um, you and I have known each other for quite some time, uh, and, and it was awful good to see you at Val Expo. Um, and, you know, there, there's, there's a thing that happens when people come to conferences that the people that don't go to conferences just don't understand. Um, tell me real quick, if you don't mind, you know, what, what was your impression of Val Expo? Did you enjoy it? Was it a useful thing to do? Um, Absolutely. I mean, as far as going to conferences in general, um, I try to make at least one, possibly two a year, um, particularly with the Valuation, valuation Expo this year. Um, I specifically chose it just because of the fact that um, it was advertised when it first was put out that Fannie Mae was going to be there talking about all of the new redesign. And I feel like going to conferences allows you to sit down and talk with the people that have the information that normally you wouldn't be able to ask questions. Absolutely. That and the fact that you can spend time with fellow appraisers from across the country um, and do some commiserating about how bad the market is or how busy you are or whatever. But it's it's nice to be in a space with other appraisers and, and share information and get information. So um, thank you for being there, number one. And number two, you know, for, for our listeners that may not know who you are, tell us a little bit about Brienne. How long have you been in this business? Um, you know, what's, what's Brienne's history? So I like to tell everybody that basically it fell into my lap. I've heard so many stories over the years of appraisers that have gotten into appraising because their family did it. And I'm one of the, the rare ones that that's not quite how it happened. I literally started in a clerical position in an appraisal office. And after about a year of helping the appraiser set up his appointments and enter some information and kind of this was when we were typing things out and putting them in overnight envelopes. And I was like, this is pretty cool. What do I need to do? And I fortunately got into it before they required the college degrees because I didn't have one. And I honestly feel like if I had gotten into that type of an experience after they had required the college degrees, I don't think I'd be doing what I am today. So 
From there, I just hit the ground running. I got certified in 2007 and I started my own business in 2009. And um, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. It is, it is one of the most fun um, ways to earn a living I can think of. Um, and people don't think of it as fun. They don't think of it as exciting. Um, but, you know, we get to be out of the office on a fairly regular basis. We get to see the weird things people do with their homes. Um, you know, <laughs> I had it, a follow me around the house the other day. <laughs> um, you, said, you said something at Val Expo that really caught my attention. And before we go to our first uh, sponsor break, I want to I want to ask you to kind of talk me through um, this thing you said at Val Expo. Um, you know, a lot of appraisers talk about we're professionals, we're professionals, and and we should be professional and behave like professionals. But you had a little bit of a different take on it. Uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? I think it might have been that I said we're a professional trade. Is that what you're referring to? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me, tell me why you say that. So you think of a professional as somebody who goes to college, gets the degree, it sits on the wall and they get hired by somebody and they just start doing what it is that they end up doing hopefully for life. And then you also think of a tradesperson as somebody who might start out at Votech at high school and then further to doing an apprenticeship, whether it's a plumber, electrician, or, you know, construction, I feel like we're the mesh of those two particular skill sets. You have to be a professional because it takes a certain amount of analytical skills and knowledge of statistics and, you know, report writing. It, there's a level above that's just more than just using yourself to do something, but yet it's a trade because, you know, even though there might be some real estate programs out there that allow you to develop some kind of a um, a degree, mm -hmm. you still have to go through the process of, I, I term it an apprenticeship. I get it. They're sure. called trainees, but it really is an apprenticeship. It's working side by side with somebody who teaches you the ins and outs of how to take all of the knowledge you have and practically apply it in each of the situations. And so I, I really think that if, if it's a term that's never been used before, I'm not trying to coin a new term, but I really think that we are a professional trade. And here's the thing. I know, you know, there's some appraisers out there that will take umbrage with this and say, we're not a trade market. We're, we're not trades people, but the analogy of going through an apprenticeship process, I think is really apt. And, um, it's, it, it sheds light on our business. Um, everybody who gets into this business and, and the number of appraisers across the country that I know personally that are in really high level um, positions at national um, lending institutions, uh, AMCs, um, government sponsored entity enterprises, uh, that do not have a college degree and have worked their way up from being a teller or being an apprentice somewhere. Uh, that's one of the things I love about this industry uh, and this business is you can <clears throat> become a competent professional appraiser uh, through the process of apprenticeship and learning from someone else. 
So, so thanks for indulging me on that. Um, and right now I'm going to take just a quick second to give a shout out to one of our sponsors. Since 1978, LIA Administrators and Insurance Services has been offering E&O insurance to valuation professionals. LIA applies superior customer service, exceptional liability education from Peter Christensen, and unparalleled claim defense managed by Claudia Gaglioni. LIA offers errors and omissions, commercial bonds, general liability, cyber liability, and real estate agents and brokers E&O. Visit liability.com or call 800-334-0652. You're listening to the Appraisal Buzz. I'm Hal Humphreys. Thank you for being here. I am tickled to be joined by Brian Ledbetter. Uh, Brian and I have known each other for quite some time. We've worked in uh, mastermind groups together. We've seen each other at conferences over the years. Um, Brian, what the thing I wanted to talk to you about, and this is primarily for the appraisers in our audience, um, there's a lot of um, anxiety out there in, in the world of appraisals about how do I get business? How do I do this thing? At times are slow. I wanted to talk to you about the difference between a firm model and a fee panel model. Um, does that make sense to you when I say those words? You might need to clarify slightly. I just want to make sure that I understand what you're talking about. Okay, so when I say those things, a fee panel model, I would see that as I am an appraiser and I'm out there getting on panels all over the country. Uh, a firm model would be I'm an appraiser and I'm either working in a firm under a, a, an appraiser in my firm or I'm the appraiser who owns a firm and have three or four or five appraisers out there doing work for me. Um, and I'm curious about the difference between those two models. Um, so I've actually done it both ways. I, when I first started, just basically was by myself trying to get on as many vendor management companies as possible just to get work coming in. Um, my model's definitely very different from that now where I have in the past, right now I don't have any actual appraisers on staff. Um, still trying to find one. <laughs> it's hard. But um, I have had where I've had multiple trainees and appraisers on staff. Um, at this point, I'm just trying to have a well-balanced model of private work, vendor work, direct lender work. And I feel like, yes, I'll, I'll be honest, this past January and February was some of the slowest months I've ever seen in the 14 years I've been in business. Um, right. I've always had work coming in. And I think I woke up one day in January and there was no reports to type and nothing on the schedule. And that was a very uneasy, apprehensive situation I had never faced before. So I've taken this year and I've tried to broaden my reach into um, getting private work. And a lot of that is just concentrating on the direct marketing, the online marketing. <clears throat> so, you know, as far as owning a business and having other appraisers on staff, it's, it's one of those things where, as you had said, there's a lot of consternation right now with kind of where things are going. I think the biggest concern is whether or not I can keep a volume up to be able to um, provide enough work for not only myself, but anybody else. Sure, sure. I don't and know if that answers the 
question. <laughs> no, I think it totally does. Here's the thing, you know, the thing you said that I think makes the most sense is you're working on right now having a balanced model of business for yourself um, mm -hmm. that may at some point, again, include having some appraisers working for you. Um, but the, the business coming in the door, um, a good balance of direct lender work, maybe some AMC work. If you've got some AMCs that you really like to work with, um, and then private work that kind of levels it out so that when, if you're, if you're totally on AMC fee panels and that's it, uh, mm -hmm. right now you may be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially because, you know, around where I'm at, I'm located just east of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> we have very um, defined seasonality mm -hmm. where, you know, school just started this week in most of our school districts. A lot of them, if not by next week, will totally be in school. And once that September, October hits, we see a huge drop off. And then with mortgage rates having gone up, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little concerned over a lot of the lender work when it comes to the October to March timeframe. So um, definitely been putting a lot of effort into that private work this year. I love it. That's, um, that's really, uh, I think the idea of a balanced practice is, is kind of what uh, what you're talking about and what I think most people need to start looking towards, um, you know, the old adage of don't put all your eggs in one basket. If all your eggs are in the AMC basket, uh, I know a lot of people are really hurting out there for work that just rely on AMCs. Uh, if you can spread that out to direct lenders and private work and other stuff like that, it can help uh, with weathering the down cycles. Uh, Brian, I'm going to take a real quick uh, second and give a shout out to another one of our sponsors and then we'll be right back. Did you know that NAN hosts quarterly discussions with our appraisal panel on bias, inclusion, equity, and diversity initiatives that impact the appraisal industry? The topic of bias in the appraisal world will remain at the forefront of legislative, agency, and lender priorities well into the future. At NAN, we believe that intentional bias is only a very small fraction of the underlying issue and that outdated policies and regulations and unconscious bias are a far greater concern. It's our hope to work closely with the appraiser community as partners in an endeavor to improve processes and procedures and ensure equitable treatment for all valuations. Learn more by visiting nan-amc.com. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Appraisal Buzz. I'm Hal Humphreys. I'm joined today by my good friend, Brianne Ledbetter. Um, Brianne, you know, we've talked about kind of um, what it is to be an appraiser. We've talked about kind of trying to balance your work so that you've got a steady flow of work, even when interest rates are out the roof and, and volume is down. Um, I had a conversation with a, um, with a young couple from, I think they're from the DC area. Uh, he just became licensed residential last year and his wife is working with him on building their business. And he said, look, he said, I'm really struggling right now because I just became licensed. It's hard for me to get on any panels because I don't have the experience and all that stuff. Um, you know, he's been in the appraisal industry for seven or eight years now working in an office um, but if someone came to you today and said, uh, I'm thinking about getting into this industry, 
What are some tips you might give them to, to get started now? So, hmm. I think some of what I would have a discussion with that person is first do their research, make sure it's something that they definitely want to do because mm -hmm. it is a commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a financial commitment. And if it's not something you're absolutely certain that you're going to love doing and want to continue doing, I could see where somebody would be easily discouraged and say, forget it. Um, yeah. I think at the end of the day, that if you're willing to put in the effort to get the education, get the experience, because this is what you know you want to do, it'll help you through those times when you question whether or not it was a good decision. Um, I think the other thing is, is to definitely sit down with somebody who'd be willing to be a supervisor, mm -hmm. have discussions, make sure it's a good fit personality wise, make sure it's a good fit as far as structure wise. In fact, I, I have a woman who did a ride along with me right before the appraisal buzz conference. She went with me for the entire day. She's an agent. Mm -hmm. She's in the middle of taking her classes. And I always open it up to somebody interested in being a trainee to just spend the day, see right. what it is that we do. And it allows the, the drive time to kind of like ask a lot of questions, go through the process of what to expect. And I always tell them, you don't have to pick me. Just make sure that you pick somebody that literally is going to teach you, not somebody who just sends you on inspections because they don't like doing them. Not somebody right. who just gives you all the comp pulling and um, analysis because they don't like doing it or don't want to spend the time. It's got to be a good fit. And so I wouldn't discourage anybody from getting into appraising. In fact, I love it. As I said, I can't imagine doing anything else. I'm with, um, you. I'm with you. But I have to admit that there are a lot of um, rough times, I think, that are going to be had by somebody getting into it now compared to when I first started, which was like in the year 2000. Sure. Um, there, there's definitely, I think, a lot more, at least, I don't know if it's because of social media and everybody tends to put their opinions out there, but I feel like there's a lot more discouragement out there right now. And some of it is warranted. Some of it, I think, is just human nature. So the biggest advice I would have is definitely do your research. Make sure you have a supervisor lined up. I, I would hate to be the type of person who would take your classes, pass everything, and then I don't know what it is like in the state, other states, but I know in Pennsylvania, you don't get your trainee's license till you have a supervisor who has signed you on. Right. So it would, it would be a shame to do that investment, take that time, and then just not be able to link up with someone. Be out there looking for a mentor um, when you have already spent all the money and done the work to get the training. Um, I think that's really good advice. Here's the thing. I, I, have, I have one more point. Yeah, go I ahead. Very important. And that is anybody looking to get into appraising that wants to be a trainee, the best way that you will find a good supervisor after you know it's somebody that's going to train you well is to tell them what you are going to do to help them. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are turned off from being a supervisor because they feel like I'm giving all of this and what do I get in return? They get their certification and they leave. <laughs> so yeah. there has to be a benefit for both the supervisor and the trainee. 
Sure. Um, you know, some, sometimes I get um, some negative feedback on this point, but um, you know, when I, when I started in the business, my dad was an appraiser. I grew up in the business, but when I graduated college and got left my first apprenticeship, um, I was kind of on my own looking for someone to work with. And I literally offered to work for free for a little mm-hmm. bit um, just to get my foot in the door. And the appraiser that I did that with, he immediately accepted. So yeah, come on in. And he, he kind of, <laughs> kind of beat me like a tied up mule uh, doing research and then realized I need to pay this kid something and immediately started paying me after like two weeks worth of work. But anything you can do. And I think that falls in the category of, you know, what can you do for the supervisor? What can you, you do for the person that's going to train you uh, that will make their lives easier? Because it is a big commitment for mm-hmm. a mentor to take on a trainee um, and do that work. Uh, Brian, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Um, I really enjoy it when I get to have uh, on appraisal buzz, an actual boots on the ground appraiser in the room to talk about, um, you know, the, the boots on the ground work of an appraiser. Heels on the ground. Heels on the ground. Yes. <laughs> I hear you. Um, Jim Morrison, do we have, uh, do we have anything else we need to cover today? Yeah, we have an anonymous appraiser question. Anybody that uh, wants their questions answered, reach out to comments at appraisalbuzz.com. <laughs> And this person says, I'm appraising a house that was an old farm church and was converted into a residential home. With the new words we should be avoiding from the GSEs, do I mention that it was a church at one point? Do I use comps that are houses or, or in the area of similar specs? Oh, boy. As far as the language portion of it goes, I do not know the answer to the question. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, go ahead, Brianne. I was, I was going to say the first thing that comes to my mind there, I, I think at that point, you would just say that the original intent of the structure was non-traditional, meaning not residential, okay. and that it was converted and rehabilitated to be residential in use. I, I don't sense. know why there's such a, a big issue over whether we use the word church or house of worship or not. I think that some of these things, if we could just stop making a big issue over it and be like, hey, find a way to describe it that says what it is you intend to say without making an issue over the word. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. You know, what What I might say uh, to, to answer the question as directly as I can, what I might say is something along the lines of, and, and kind of rephrasing what, what Brian said is, you know, this structure was originally intended for a communal use. It has been adapted for residential use. Um, and then as far as what I would use for comparables, you know, I have worked on properties like this in the past. And what I usually do is try to find some other former uh, religious facilities that have been converted to houses. They may not be in the immediate market. They may be from other parts of the country even. But I want to show that this, this happens. It is not um, entirely unusual for something like this to happen. And then I would go back and focus on utility. Um, does, does the subject have similar utility to other residential properties in the area? And if you can compare similar utility to utility, I think you'll probably be okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be a converted church building. It could be a converted barn. It could be a converted where, I mean, 
we've seen it all. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So, no doubt. Um, all right. Well, Jim, did did we did we do a decent job of answering that question? Yeah, I think you did a great job. I know there's a lot of situations like that. I even had my uh, great aunt and uncle had an old farmhouse in St. Michael's, Maryland. So that just happens. Yeah, I love it. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I, as an appraiser, I oftentimes will be you know researching sales. And just last week, I was researching sales and and pulled up the MLS for you know a certain area in Nashville. And I'm scrolling through the sales and the listings, and I saw this listing for an old church building um, that's zoned residential. And I'm thinking in my mind would that be cool to convert that to a house? And then I'm thinking in my mind as an appraiser, oh boy, it's gonna be hard to finance that. Um, so yeah, there, those are the fun assignments for us appraisers. I think that's when you get to think about something and consider, you know, some weirdnesses, that's when it gets to be really fun for me as an appraiser. Um, anything else we need to cover today? Nope. I think we've covered it all. Okay. Well, uh, Jim, thank you for hosting again today. Brian, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Um, and for those of you out there listening to the Appraisal Buzz podcast, thank you. Uh, we're certainly glad you're here. Uh, for Brian Ledbetter and Jim Morrison, I'm Hal Humphreys, and that is your Appraisal Buzzcast. <laughs>